Ladies and gentlemen and hockey fans of all ages, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Hockey Fan Chat. I am your host, Randy Dillon. Before we get into this episode, we do wish everyone the best. We know it's a tough time in the world. Just hang in there. We will persevere. In our latest episode, we will be chatting about the Boston Bruins with a good friend of mine, but also we will be getting into a little bit of strength and conditioning talk as well for athletes. Joining us in our latest episode, he is a very good friend of mine, and also he is a strength and conditioning coach for the Calgary North Stars Hockey Association. Please welcome Greg Ross. Well, first off, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hockey Chat. We appreciate you coming on. You've told me you're a big Bruins fan because of your relationship with your dad. But do you think it has to do more as well with the success? So I'll look at the team's record. Since the year 2000, they've only missed the playoffs about six times. Would you agree the success of the team had a big impact for you to keep cheering with them or not really? No, no I don't think so. I don't know if I've ever told you the story about why I'm a Bruins fan. My dad had four other brothers, so there was five of them, and then my grandfather, so six. My dad grew up in an era with the original six. So one year, my grandfather came home for Christmas, and he had one of all of the six jerseys. He wrapped them but didn't put names on them, and he randomly handed them out to everybody, and my uh my father got a Bruins jersey, so he grew up a big Bruins fan. I really think why I'm a Bruins fan is growing up being a, a small kid in northern Alberta, Rycroft, we didn't really have much TV. So hockey, other than like the occasional Saturday night game, was just old tapings. I was a huge Bork fan and Neely and Adam Oates, Craig Janney and, and Ricky Middleton and guys like that. So I grew up loving and watching that era. 2003-2004 when Patrice Bergeron entered the league and that kind of sparked the Bruins life again. Late 90s, early 2000s when we lost Bork, things were pretty glum for a Bruins fan for a little bit, but Phil stayed with them and then I think Bergeron really kind of I guess gave the community hope. So I was a big, big Bruins fan before I guess they were good and then now the last 10 years, like you said, them being good has just kind of been a big bonus. I'm always interested in hearing how fans cheer for their team. More than have to do when, oh, I just grew up with the team I want to cheer for yeah. them. There's more of a relationship. You see a player, you just see a moment that make. I always love that interaction, like how a family ties with hockey can always bring people together for that. It's just great. Oh, totally. You mentioned in 2003, Rashid Bergeron came on the scene. But before that, that you were saying they lost Ray Bork. But in between all that, Joe Thornton was a Boston Bruin. I don't think we really take notice because most of his career happened in San Jose. Yeah. Do you remember Thornton time as a Bruin and how powerful he was or dominant was? Because he was still a young yeah. player. Yeah, so actually, funny story. I think I was six. I actually met him and Sergei Samsonov. Oh, wow. Yeah, so my dad took me to a Bruins game. They were playing the Flames in Calgary, and they were in town. And I can't remember. I was at, uh, what was the name of the rink that they used to practice at? I think it actually might have been Max Bell. So I actually think old traveling teams, it either used to be Max Bell or I don't know, some other rink down by there. Anyways, so my team, when I was young, we were practicing and then they practiced after us. And I actually, I got to meet and chat with Joe Thornton and Sergey Samsonov for a couple of minutes. So they were huge. 
they were who I loved growing up too. But then, yeah, I guess at getting Bergeron kind of, I don't know, re-sparked after a little bit, I guess. I would say that the great because the the loss of Thornton at that time was just I gotta be thinking horrendous. He's like you're thinking a franchise player, you trade him yeah. away, and the return I don't think at that time the Boston got really oh, well. God, nothing, especially, especially when you think of it like that line. So Thornton, Mike Knubel, and Glenn Murray. That line was arguably like one of the best lines in hockey right then, right? I wouldn't say it's anywhere near the line that the Bruins have right now, but it was still a pretty big, powerful line. Yeah, so I, I'm just looking at the trade. So this was the trade. Boston traded Thornton, and it, they got Marco yeah. Sturm, Wayne Primo, and Brad Stewart. You look, and you're just, that's like a head-scratcher trade on why. Yeah. yeah, that's one of those ones where I guess you just kind of – you wonder what was going on in management's head – I think they were trying to look for to fill different roles. Like, obviously, Primo and Sturm being stronger guys. Sturm had a decent talent for scoring goals. Brad Stewart, good, steady defenseman. But I don't know. Joe Thornton's an all-star and is going to be a Hall of Famer. So I, I still don't agree with that trade. But it is what it is. There were some rumors. I was talking to uh, my old agents that he is possibly going to go to Boston at the trade deadline, but then obviously that didn't happen. So I would be, I'd be interested to see if he, uh, if he went there this summer because now his contract's up. If Joe Thornton's going to get traded anywhere, it's going to be Boston. Just a storybook career, him going back, winning the cup in all matter would just be incredible. Yeah. He said he's not happy he didn't get traded, so I do believe he could be back in the Bruins uniform. God, I would love that. But you look at the Bruins as of today, or even like the past 10 years, they've just been one of the most dominant teams in the NHL. And you say Patrice Bergeron up there, David Pasternak and Brad Marchand, one of the most dominant lines. Brad Marchand is an interesting character, though, of a player, because he's such a great, skilled player, and he's shown time after time he can be an elite player. But I just feel sometimes he does the stupidest thing that can just, what are you thinking of? Like the slew foot, the big thing I remember, the licking of, I think, Dan Girardi's face in a playoff game. Do you think Brad Marchand at times, those antics take away from how incredible a player he can be up there like some of the top scoring players in the league? I'd like to first start by saying that like him playing on edge like that brings something to his game that other people don't have. So I like to, I love to see that edge of him, but yeah, I definitely think there have been a couple of times where he's gotten out of his game because he's gone too far. Especially if you look at like, I believe what was that, that series against it was the Tampa Bay Boston ended up losing that series. I think they really could have, they really could have won it and possibly won it all. Uh, that year if he would have had his head on straight. So, yeah, maybe you have a a better view of it being a a non-Bruins fan. I think he's been why Boston, in my opinion, why I'm so excited this year or was excited this year until this happened was the fact that Brad Marchand has a little bit more of a level head on his shoulders and then also having David Pasternak playing a little bit better in his own zone. I think those two huge things make that team that much better. I could agree with you. Now, looking at Boston, 
Marshawn, I feel like it gets taken away because sometimes there's just this hate toward them. Like, I think it's important. You need players that can play on the edge that are not scared to dig their nose in those dirty spots where they shouldn't be. I think you look at last year in the playoff where he got in the face of guys like Justin oh, yeah. Williams in a playoff game. And he didn't do anything exactly. stupid, but so it was like he was trying to mess around. And you could say, well, not it might not be appreciated, but he's doing what he can do to get under the skin to do oh, it right. Totally, right. So I think that series against Carolina is a great example of when he does it right. When he got under people's skin and didn't take it too far, when he's doing it right, I think that's really when he's at his best. Absolutely. You mentioned David Pasternak. Do you think the guy gets enough love around the league or no? Because I was just looking at some facts and goals. Since his first full season back in 2015, 2016, where he played about 50 yeah. games, since then he played 344 games, 170 goals. He has more goals than guys like Evgeny Malcolm, Jamie Benn, Tyler yeah. Sagan. It's just incredible. And I think this year he's finally getting the appreciation, but I don't think maybe a year or two ago he would get that much love on how much of a great dominant goal scorer he is. Well, you got to remember, I think the reasoning of that is like he's only 23 right now. He had a couple of 30-goal seasons, right? So that's he's a good goal scorer, but he wasn't a dominant goal scorer. He wasn't putting up 50 goals. So I think now that he's 23 years old, going to be 24 soon, he would have got 50 goals this year. He got 48 goals in 70 games. There's no way he doesn't get two goals in the next 12 games. So it would have been his first 50-year career. I think that's why he's starting to get noticed as top three goal scorers in the league. Because really, if you think about it, it's just him, Drysdale, and Ovechkin, right? I think it's him, Matthews, and Ovechkin. Him and Ovechkin are tied for first, but then Austin oh, yeah, Matthews Austin Matthews slightly Matthews out there. Sorry, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, no, I, I think the, the big reason why he's starting to recognize is like a couple of years ago, they put him with Marchand and Bergeron and he scored 30 goals with like, well, yeah, like a lot of guys could score 30 goals with those guys. And then he does it three years in a row. And then this year, there was a point where people thought he was going to do the 50 and 50. So I mm-hmm. think that buzz where he was getting, like he was at like 25 goals in 20 games or something like that. I think that's what really uh, what brought him up in the conversation. Now, do you think because that time earlier in his career, a little bit attention got taken off the fact that he's in the same division of guys like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, who just came in the league in Toronto being such a high hockey market. Did that appreciate get taken off a year or two? Or is that more in his favor as a player not to get that attention so he can keep working up and building yeah, so up I his think- game? I honestly think it's a good thing, right? We all know what Matthews, Marner, and make a year, but have they beat Boston in the playoffs? That's the thing. So you got to remember, like, I think having guys like Bergeron and even Marshan, if you don't like them, they still took tremendous pay cuts to keep cap space on their team to have a good team. And that just speaks leadership. Like, even Bergeron and Marshan, their next contracts are coming up, and they both already said that they're going to take a hit. You have guys like that in the dressing room you just you learn from it money talks right they're not making 12 mil a year they should like all three of them could go somewhere and make ridiculous amounts of money but they're not right and, and money talks and i think the reason why the three in toronto are, are getting talked about so much is obviously like a it being in toronto like global sport network of the world well canada at least and then b like making that much money a year of course people are going to talk about you that is fair because he's only making $7 million. And 
I see that up and down the team where players are taking pay cuts. Like, I look at a player like the Daniel Char, I can still go yeah. the mile. Yeah, 42 a year, they'd play 25 minutes. Some teams would give him easy four, $3 million saying, hey, come play with us, we'll give you money. But he's like, no, I want to stay yeah. with this team and be a part yeah. of something special. And that's special. why, like, you got to hand it to Cam Neely and Don Sweeney. Like, they've got everybody bought in. You take a bit of a pay cut, you have better people around you, and then you win. And, like, also, newsflash, for a lot of people that don't understand actually how the pay works, as a professional hockey player, you get bonuses throughout things like making the playoffs, right? So you want to be on a team that's good. I think not a lot of people give that love maybe to Cam Neely and Don Sweeney because when they missed the playoffs in 2014-15, Peter Shirelli just left, and he made a controversial deal, I would say, trading yeah. Tyler Sagan and Rich Pavley for Louis Erickson and other pieces. And then... It took them a oh, few yeah. years to get back on track, but you look what they've done. They have the right piece of a team where they're like, got young, great yeah. players coming up, but they have their veterans not doing the work, not yeah. getting overpaid, and key guys and just doing it all would make them so competitive and strong for another year or two yeah, exactly. to compete. Right. So, yeah, no, that's good to see. I got an interesting question for you about the goaltending. Now, Tuka Rath is no doubt about it. He's been a great goalie since taking yeah. over Tim Thomas. One number of games have put out great numbers, but I've looked at his numbers in Game 7s where he's... His Game 7 record not the best, where he's 3-3, three and three, but he's allowed 21 goals. And then you look at Tim Thomas again, 3-3, three and three, but he's only allowed yeah. 13 goals. Would you say, because both goalies have played a Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final, Thomas did the job, Rath didn't. Will Tuka Rath kind of be in Tim Thomas's shadow because he didn't win that big one? Or is that hard to compare? Oh, that's a good question. Obviously, like you said, Tim Thomas got the job done. He won the ultimate game. Even how Tim Thomas stepped up that series against Vancouver and kind of like he was just a verbal leader in the interviews and also just backed up with his play he was he was huge for Boston that year with that being said pretty sure Tuca is now the winningest goalie in Bruins franchise history now in the regular season so I think if you're asking me of who I had to pick if that's what you're getting at here I think the answer is Tuca Rask for me just because you've had more out of him as a career, like longevity wise, but if you're asking if he's in Tim Thomas's shadow until he wins the Stanley Cup, I think the answer is still yes. So let's say if they had to pick, and they're both in their prime, Rask and Thomas in a game seven, you would favor a little more over t- Rask than Thomas, or games? You're talking one game, or or maybe let's say a, a little period, because it would be hard to say for games. If so you're, let's if say you're telling me you get to make in their prime. Who needs to win me one game? I would go yeah. Tim Thomas. If you're telling me who would I pick for a career to put a Bruins jersey on, I would say Tukarask. It's very good to know because I think a lot of people forget Thomas only played from 2007 to about 2000, to 2012 at the Bruin, where yes. Rask had been a Bruin his whole career after really stifling yeah, exactly. Toronto. It is unfortunate with what's happening yeah. in the world right now. And I think it hurts more like some of those top teams, like yourself, a Bruins fan, where you were so close last year winning the Stanley Cup, where it was all in all the season going great, 
you know this year it's the cup or nothing. It must hurt even more the fact that the game postponed because you don't know can that yeah. mission be complete so that, or not. Yeah, being a Bruins fan right now, obviously with this being said, hockey needs to take a backseat to people's health. So I think it was the right decision. So I just wanted to state that first. But being a Bruins fan and being so close and obviously a little biased, but a, f- a few things shouldn't have gone St. Louis's way in the final that did. But we don't need to get into that. Definitely in the back of your mind of like, oh, crap, what's next year going to look like? What are they doing now? Are they going to end this season? Is there going to be a Stanley Cup? So I think we'll find out here shortly. There is still time to have something this summer. I, I don't know. Uh, what's going to go on but yeah it definitely doesn't work in our favor because the way things were rolling we were looking good right so one of the best seasons they've had i think since they won the president's trophy back yeah. in 2013-14 everything was going great they, they have the best duel in goaltending in the league with rask and Halak. i don't think they get enough credit don sweeney gets yeah, enough credit. Been great and the fact is like i always question a team they always say you it's important to have a number one goalie who you're going to go with, but it's also important because we've seen in past playoffs, like I'm going to give Edmonton a good example in the yeah. 2006 playoffs where they lost Rollison, the wheels just fell off. You look at a team like Montreal a couple of years ago, they lost Price and the wheels fell out. It, I think Boston's really shown the importance of what you, a goalie system really works. Yeah. You do have your number one guy, but you have to make sure the other guy's ready to go because you never totally. know when they're called And that upon. even goes back to the year they won the Cup. They're, I believe Rask had to jump in for a game or two because I think Tim Thomas was out with the flu, if I'm not mistaken. Or was it the year before? Either way, can't really remember. But either way, having Tuca to step in for Tim Thomas then was huge in, in helping them, right? So, no, I think you're right. Having Tuca and Halak is a great one-two punch. It is important. Patrice Bergeron, I just want to ask a quick thing. He's still one of the most dominant two-way players out there. I don't think anyone can play a better 200-foot game for him. He's getting a little bit older. He's he's getting up there, 34 years old. You don't know how many miles are left on the guy. Do you know or feel, because I don't really follow the Bruins prospect or depth that much, do you know if they have something ready in case are kind of hoping they have a predecessor ready for Bergeron to take his spot or not well, something not being looked at? First of all, like, you can't replace him, right? Like, he, he, in all intents and purposes, is their captain, right? I love Zidano, but Bergeron is the main guy. He's been the main guy for years, right? I think Bergie's going to go down as in the same conversation with Bork and Orr as the top Bruins to ever put on the jersey. And there's actually an interesting conversation between Bork and Orr talking about that. Do I think that they have anybody ready to replace him? No, because I don't think you can replace him. I think the day that he walks away is a, is a huge, huge loss to the Bruins. I don't care who's in the lineup. That being said, like we do have some young talent. Having guys like Jake DeBrusque, having Pasta, the Marshawn, like those younger guys, like they will go from there, but... Patrice Bergeron, it can't, you can't replace him. Very true, because when the Bruins like, had Raymond Bork, and losing him is such a loss, but then they were able to steal Chara away after Ottawa did not decide to offer him. That's just yeah. been such a big push there, and I think that was really like the start of this team on the rise. Like I don't think the Bruins would be where they are. they never get that opportunity to oh, give totally. off Chara no, that I, offer Chara sheet. Is, having Chara is... 
can't even really mention what that guy has been for the organization. Again, he's even now at, would you say, 42, his role is amazing. We've been lucky enough to have some good players come to the organization. Even I think if Thornton would have stayed, I think if Sagan would have stayed, I think if we would have been able to keep Sagan when Bergeron were to walk away, at least we'd have another guy to jump in there with uh, Marchand and Pasta. But right now, I don't see anybody that can take his role. Obviously, Krejcic can, but he's only one year younger than Bergeron. Yeah, I look at it where the Bruins is like, you don't win championship without that great leadership because it's funny. They, the same year they lost Thornton in the trade, that's when they gave Chara the yeah. offer sheet to sign away. Look like all is going to be lost, but then you get Chara, one, you go through one top year, but the next year they make the playoffs in 2008. And yeah. after that, yeah. it just, no, you never look back. On the current roster, who do you think is a player that doesn't get enough love for the Bruins and should? I look at I think Brandon Carlo, the guy, he plays heavy minutes. He's up on the top four pairing. He takes a lot of pressure off. Char, do you think he should be considered one of, like, not as an elite top defenseman, but as, like, one of the better defensemen in the league that people should have be paying you, more attention to? Have you gotten the chance to, to watch him play live? I have not. conversation. I actually had a... I had this conversation with a friend of mine actually about two weeks ago. I think he is one of the most underrated defensive defensemen in the entire NHL. He's what, 6'4", 6'5", right? He's probably around 215, 220. He's a big boy. Being that big, he also skates so well, right? He, his lateral movement, he is so good, especially down low. Guys can't get away from him because of his reach, but they also can't get away from him because of his ability to skate. So, big fan of Carlo. I think having him is one of the best shutdown opportunities that we have on the back end. I think he's fantastic. I definitely think he's somebody that doesn't really get talked about too much in the league, just because he's still pretty young, but also he's more defensive guy, right? You guys got Krug, you got McAvoy, even Griselic, right? Those guys are offensively gifted they get chatted about a little bit more but I think Carlo honestly I think he takes over Char's role as the Bruins shutdown defenseman when Char walks away I do agree with you and I also look at another thing where Tory Krug he's in UFA once a season and in likelihood I don't think Boston can afford to pay him to stay now offensively you're gonna miss his production but defensively with a guy like Carlo already there, already playing so great, you might yes. not notice such a blow on that blue line. And that would, I think, make the Bruins such a yeah. great team still for years to come because they have that Krug, ready, Krug there, ready is, to planet. Krug is awesome. You can't really say enough good things about him. I really hope they somehow find a way to keep him. I heard the, the salary cap's going up a bit, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. I don't know, Krug, Krug Tori's one of the guys you, you'd like to see in a Bruins jersey forever. Oh, very true. Interesting question I got here. With the Bruins being an original six team, being with the Leafs and the Habs, who is their biggest rival, you think? Is it Montreal or is it Toronto? Because they both have done battles in the playoffs in the last number of years. Toronto a little bit more frequently, but there's always a hate between the two. Who do you think is more of the rival um, for the Bruins? Bruins fan. I hate Montreal. Hate Montreal with a passion. 
I just think the reason why Toronto's been talked about here lately is because, well, Montreal sucked. Boston's had to battle Toronto in, in the playoffs the last few years because Toronto's been there. If it was Montreal instead of Toronto, this wouldn't even be a question, right? But I, I still think the hate for Montreal is still the highest. But right now, honestly, I think I'll answer it this way. I think Boston is more of a rival for Toronto than Toronto is for Boston. Does that make sense? I think it is because Toronto, they have to get past the big bad Bruins in order to show themselves where Boston knows. Exactly. We can I beat think you. you want to can know you the beat us? Rivalry in the East? I think it's Boston and Tampa Bay. They've had some vicious battles and. When they played in the playoff in 2018, it was a, a quick series, but pretty close. And then I look back at the playoff in 2011 between Tampa and Boston. That was, I think, an incredible back-and-forth series where you didn't know which team yeah. actually had the momentum from game to yeah. game. No, I, I think, and like a few guys have said it, things are getting heated. I don't know if you've watched the Bruins and, and Lightning game this year, but... It's getting heated. You're starting to see some words passed between players. You're starting to see a little chop after the play. You're starting to see a a few hands in the face after whistles. I think if there was a playoff series with those two playing against each other, I think that's a battle. Well, both teams are deep. Both teams have great goaltending. Both teams are strong defensemen. It would be... It's unfortunate because you look at some of the best teams are in the same conference, but that yeah. should be the St- a Stanley Cup final yeah. to get so there. I, a Boston and Tampa think, because honestly, they're so this even. Year, if playoffs would have happened and be happening now, I think the winner of Boston-Tampa Bay is your, your champion. I'll back up. I say as long as whoever wins that series comes out healthy, I think the better of those two teams is the best team in the league. Now, no doubt about it, 2011, the Bruins winning cup is a historic moment. The first Stanley Cup since 1967. And as a fan, just watching your team win is incredible. Other than that moment as a Bruins fan, what is the moment that sticks out to you that you remember that was just so incredible you watched, whether it was a player doing a move, a save, or other than maybe the 2011 Cup? Because winning a cup is just incredible. But I always find... But that one moment for a hockey fan that really gets them hooked or excited, like you'll never forget. For me, it was watching Marla Mew back live yeah. in Calgary in 2001. Which one would you think, like your favorite memory for, other than Bruins? the 2011 Cup? I think it would be Patrice Bergeron scoring on Jose Theodore in overtime in 2003 or 2004. In the playoffs. Do you remember that? I do not, but I know there was a lot of back and forth series between was, the Canadian uh, ones back then. And yeah, so it was, I remember he, he he was coming up, I think he just stepped over the blue line, cut left, cut right, and then shot through a screen that just went over, throws it like just under his blocker. And he's a southpaw, it should be everybody else's gloves. And I remember that moment. Like, I, I still, if you really think of, of moments, I guess. That was like, okay, Berge, like here comes Bergeron. This is what the oh, team's got. No, oh, incredible. Then obviously the, the run in 2011, winning that cup, incredible. Cut down yeah. 2 nothing against Montreal. Then you have a yeah. long seven-game series against Tampa. You got to go through the Flyers again where the year yeah. before they came back beating you 3 nothing, oh, and then God. again 2 nothing against Vancouver. The Bruins winning the cup that year was probably – 
I would say you look at teams winning the cup, they did not make it easy, but that way you call a resilient squad totally. saying we ain't backing down. You are a strength and conditioning yeah. coach with the Calgary North Stars. I'm interested in the amount of off-season work players have to do, how hard they have to work. Because from what you hear from people, think, oh, if you have the skill, you'll be fine. But is it as well you need that will to push yourself through those strength and conditioning sessions to show if you really want to get over the hump? Or does skill Um, solve all your answers? I guess that's a a double-edged sword. So... One thing I will say is, like, somebody can be strong, somebody could be fast, but if they're not good at hockey, they're not going to go anywhere. I've had the chance of working with guys that are phenomenal athletes, but honestly just couldn't figure it out on the ice, and, and they didn't go anywhere. And I've had guys where they have zero, zero body awareness, but they're a hell of a hockey player. I so- think the big thing right now answer your question it's not so much the ability to push through the the strength and conditioning sessions it's to see which players are going to be a professional so i get phone calls every week from during the season during the off season from different scouts and coaches and the question i get is can this kid be a professional right and what they mean by that is like do they take care of their body how are they mentally in the gym how are they around other people? What are they like when they train, right? So you, you can see a lot. You can really find out a lot about a kid through a tough training session. And what I mean by that is like, well, you've been trained by me. When you get to the point yep. where you're like, this is hard, you have two answers that you could come up with. You could give up and slow down. Or you can push through and move forward, right? And it really reveals which player is going to deal with adversity, not just at the rink, but in life and and be able to move forward, right? So I think your answer there, not only is pretty much, I think, what a lot of people really need to hear about what it takes to be a top athlete. It's not all about you can be the best shape of your life. You can have the skill level of a Gretzky and McDavid, all those guys. But if you're not willing to put it together, if you're not willing to yeah. show to be above so, all that, so we, we, you're we never going to make we it. We could have a whole other hour-long podcast about strength and conditioning. There's a lot that we could talk about. But yeah, if, if you get rid of the just the physical aspect of, of making an athlete uh, stronger, bigger, faster, healthy, more durable, blah, 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 all of that, the, the mental aspect of, of how they react in the gym actually has a has a lot to do with the game nowadays. I do. I could see that because you want to know, because if they're not handling that portion prop, they're getting frustrated, they're getting angry, they're not willing to show, or they're just like walking away, or they see someone else struggling and they're just like, whatever. It doesn't look good on them, but if they're willing to suck it up, do what they have to do, support their other fellow teammates, it makes a huge difference on totally. no, what they can achieve right? overall. You, you, you see which guys are leaders and, and which guys aren't. And it's also really cool to, to see talented players see how hard they got to work and then you see it in their game. I've got a kid right now, actually, super talented kid. When I met him 
just one of the laziest kids you'll ever meet, but so talented. Just one of the guys where he just found the puck, the puck found him, and then he found the back of the net. But then him being around my – just even coming into the gym and, and seeing the group of WHL guys um, and AJ guys and SJ guys and seeing how they are, really I think it kind of clicked for him. And, and since seeing that, his game has gone to the next level. It's incredible. That I would say, well, Greg, I appreciate you joining us today on this episode. We've learned a lot about the Bruins. I'm really informed about what you said about strength conditioning. Maybe another day we can sit down and get more into that. We appreciate you coming on. Stay safe at this time. Hopefully the season comes up and we'll see if yeah, the Bruins can complete do, but... what they started last year. <laughs>